Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is the fourth in our series that I've entitled Frustration, Failure, and Faith and subtitled Trusting God in Trying Times. We've looked at several biblical characters already and today we're going to look at, uh, at the life of Samson. And the uh, title that I've given to uh, this section on Samson is When Our Weaknesses Overpower Our Strengths. Remember Paul said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And of course what he was talking about is the fact that uh, when he recognized his own weakness, that made him more dependent upon the Lord Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament we have something very similar uh, talking about uh, King Uzziah of Judah in Second Chronicles chapter 26. It says of King Uzziah, it says he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. So, Again, we want to talk about today that sometimes our weaknesses, our character weaknesses, uh, have a tendency to overpower the strengths in our lives, and certainly that's true of Samson. By way of uh, historical background, remember that the period of Judges was a period in which uh, uh, there was a uh, a cyclical kind of thing that was going on. There would be sin on the part of the Israelites followed by servitude because God would give them into the hands of uh, other people, in this case the Philistines, in the case of Gideon, the Midianites. But um, sin and then a period of servitude and then supplication on the part of the Israelites crying out to God for deliverance and then the salvation would come, the, the deliverance by means of a judge. Remember also that the judges were not uh, not rulers in the sense of being kings. They didn't rule over the entire land of Israel. They were regional kinds of rulers. Uh, for example, uh, uh, as we'll see, Samson ruled in an area which would have been the western part of, uh, of the land, uh, parcel of land that belonged to Judah in that area. And also uh, the tribe of Dan was located in that, in that area uh, for some period of time. Whereas when you look at Samson, Samson was on the eastern side and ruled in, uh, in that area where the, where the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh and, uh, and even Benjamin was located. So they were regional type, uh, types of rulers. Uh, the, uh, in the book of Judges, in chapter 17, verse 6, and also in chapter 21, verse 25, we get, uh, we get a synopsis of what that time was like. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in the case of um, Samson, certainly there was a great Philistine presence and culture there at that time. Now this was during the period of the Iron Age. Uh, when we're talking about Samson, we're talking about a period of, of around 1075 to 1055 B.C. So that would have put it in the, in the time of the Iron Age. There were five Philistine cities that were located on the coastal plain of southwestern Canaan. Uh, those cities were Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. Gaza is a very familiar name that we know today. <clears throat> Each of those cities was ruled by a Philistine lord, and the five lords together comprised the ruling body of the entire Philistine nation. One of their chief deities was one called Dagon, which was related to fishing and agriculture. In, fa in fact, there's some interesting things about Dagon in, uh, in 1 Samuel when... Uh, uh, when you when you read that about uh, what was going on in those uh, early days there in First Samuel, the Philistines 
brought European culture with them uh, when they came to that land. Uh, they were certainly more advanced than the simple Hebrews. Uh, among other things, they were metallurgists. That is, they were makers of iron. Uh, they were a very fierce, warring people whose desire was to conquer all of Canaan. In fact, part of the tribe of Dan, who lived down close to Judah, and Judah was bordered on the, the land of the Philistines, but part of the tribe of Dan ultimately was forced to move north and settle there. Uh, archaeologists have discovered lots of pottery shards uh, from the Philistine culture, uh, and they reveal a real admiration for sports, uh, particularly bullfighting. Uh, there are many beer mugs also that were, have been found by archaeologists, so they were prodigious uh, drinkers. And it perhaps it's because of these lifestyle factors that that helps us to understand why Samson was attracted to them and and really and they were attracted to him because he was a man of daring and strength a man of quick wit and also as we shall see a man of loose morals as well the impact of their presence uh, certainly uh, no longer remains but it is seen even today in the name that they gave to their country after three millennia that name lives on and that's uh, what the Arabs call Palestine that comes from the uh, from uh, the the name Philistine. The whole uh, when we begin to look at Samson's life, uh, certainly we see that uh, that a purpose is stated for his life in Judges thirteen verse uh, verse five. It says uh, there it says he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Notice. When God announces what uh, Samson is going to do, He announces to the to the parents, uh, who up to that point are are barren. Um, when he announces to them what this child is going to do, he says he is going to begin. He's going to begin to save Israel. Uh, certainly. Uh, because of a lot of factors in the in the personal life of Samson, he did not uh, finish the job, and uh, even during the time of Samuel and the time of Saul, and even into the time of David's uh, reign. Uh, after the United Monarchy came into being, uh, we still see problems with the Philistines. Now David pretty much uh, ended that by the end of his reign so that Solomon had a, a relatively peaceful reign. But I guess if you, if you were to summarize Samson's life, uh, he, just, he had a private war with the Philistines. It was sort of a contest between the Philistines and Samson whom God had... Uh, had whom God used to accomplish uh, His will and His purpose. So let's begin to read and uh, and just talk about this. And we we begin by looking at Samson's birth in Judges chapter thirteen. And notice uh, here you see that that cyclical uh, factor that's going on in, during the time of the judges. It says, "And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord." So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. You turn away from the truth and God turns you over. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And here's that uh, statement of purpose. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Notice it says tells us two things in that, uh, in that verse 5 there. It says the child shall be a Nazarite. That has to do with his character. And then it says he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That has to do with his career. That's what he's going to do. Now, you say, well, now what is a Nazarite? Now, you look at that and the first four letters look like Nazi and you say, surely that doesn't have anything to do with Germany and you're exactly right, it does not. If you look in the left-hand column of your notes, 
uh, there's a passage there from Numbers chapter 6 uh, that, uh, and I put the heading on there, the Nazarite vow. Uh, Notice what it says. It says, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, and the, the word Nazarite means uh, a separated one or a consecrated one. When a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that's produced by the grapevine not even the seeds or the skins. So you can't drink grape juice, can't drink wine, can't eat raisins, uh, can't eat grapes. Uh, You stay away from all of that. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair uh, of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, all the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Now, the thing about a Nazarite vow is that it could be either a temporary vow. That's what we see uh, the Apostle Paul taking um, in the book of Acts. When all when he had gone to Jerusalem and all Bedlam broke loose uh, because they thought that uh, the Jewish hierarchy thought that he had brought some Gentile and taken him into the temple. At least that's what they accused him of doing. But uh, notice here it could be it could be either a temporary vow such as that, or it could be a permanent vow, and that's what it is in the case of Samson. Because uh, remember, it says. Uh, Uh, he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Uh, So this is not a choice that he made. This is a choice that God made. He's separated from from the womb to be uh, a consecrated one. Whereas Paul was took a temporary vow, and many other Jews did as well. As far as we know, uh, there are only three people who took permanent Nazarite vows. Uh, obviously, Samson is one. A second one would be uh, Samuel, uh, who was the last of the uh, last of the judges, and uh, the other one would be John the Baptizer. Uh, remember, strange diet, uh, hair grew long, all of those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. And notice what it says. It says in verse uh, 24 of Judges 13, and it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Uh, and the name Samson means a son, S-U-N. Called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel. And if you look at that uh, map, you can see that uh, where those uh, where those cities are located. Uh, and please, any time, uh, particularly when you read the Old Testament, although it's really helpful with the New Testament as well, especially when you're uh, reading about the journeys of Paul or you're reading about the ministry of Jesus and the way he moved around from uh, Judea to Galilee and went through Samaria. If you, if you have a map in front of you and you follow those, uh, um, what the authors say, uh, the, the, the geographical uh, references that they make, things really make a lot more sense. Um, well, I, I don't need to go into that any uh, anymore. Uh, now, the whole purpose of a spiritual gift is to is to minister to the body ultimately to bring glory to God. So the reason God has given this gift of strength to to Samson is so that he will be able to deliver his people. They, they've been in bondage. They've cried out to him. God sent them a deliverer, right now a baby, and who begins to grow up, and uh, he is going to have this supernatural strength. Now, it's going to come on him from time to time as the Spirit of God stirs him. And we see, uh, beginning in Judges 14, we see that Samson, although he had this special anointing on him, was a person who 
in many ways uh, left a lot to be desired as far as his character was concerned. So let's uh, let's read and see what we can discover there as we uh, look a little bit at the exploits of Samson. Judges 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now he's concerned apparently about uh, he likes good-looking women, as we'll see. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Remember, Jews were not to marry outside of uh, of uh, the the Jewish culture. They were not to marry pagans. God warned them not to marry pagans because He said, they're going to cause you to worship idols. Uh, Remember, that's exactly what happened to uh, to, uh, uh, King Solomon. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. The old King James Version says, get her for me because she looks good to me. In other words, here's Samson who's got the anointing of God on him to deliver uh, this area of the land of Israel. And yet he is walking by sight rather than walking by faith at this point. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. See, now God can use even the evil in our lives to accomplish His purposes and we're really going to see that in Samson's life. His father and mother didn't know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah and they came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Now notice, he didn't walk around with the Spirit of God on him all the time just performing all kinds of feats of strength and lifting rocks and barbells and things like that to prove what a great guy he was. There would just be moments at which the Spirit of God would come upon him and then he would perform just magnificent uh, feats when that, uh, when that happened. It says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now notice, his, his mom and dad are with him so they would have witnessed this event. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. And again, the old King James says... And she looked good to Samson. So here we see him anointed with the Holy Spirit, but we see him breaking a vow of separation already because what's he doing? He's touching a dead body. Uh, and we're gonna, uh, we'll see that uh, even more. It says... Uh, because remember, if and I hope that you did your reading ahead of time uh, from the from the reading assignment that that, that you had. Remember that uh, when Samson came back, he discovered that some bees uh, had had built a uh, a honeycomb in this uh, in this. Um, in this carcass and so he was hungry and uh, so he's not supposed to touch a dead body but he just gets him something to eat right out of this uh, carcass of the lion so again he he breaks his vow of separation his his calling by God just doesn't seem all that important to him. It says his father uh, went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there. So the uh, for so the young men used to do. So there's a there's a wedding that's arranged in uh, in all of this. And one of the things that uh, Philistines like to do, and apparently Samson uh, went along with this, was they like to. Uh, they like to propose riddles. And so essentially what um, Samson does is he makes a wager, a bet with the Philistines. And he says, I'll bet you you can't, uh, you can't come up with an answer to my riddle. And, so, uh, the, and the riddle is, is, is something like, you know, out of the strong came something sweet. And what he was talking about was this event that had gone on, killing the lion and then the bees uh, providing uh, uh, honey for him in the carcass of the lion. 
So he proposes that riddle to the guests at the wedding. And remember, these weddings would go on for, for days on end. And none of the guests could come up with, uh, with, with what, uh, what the answer was to the riddle. And the bet had been, well, now, I'll bet you uh, a whole change of clothes that, uh, that you can't come up with my riddle. So uh, if Samson lost the bet, he was going to have to come up with... Uh, a number of changes of clothes where uh, to pay the to pay the wager whereas the Philistines were only going to have to come up with uh, one change of clothes each to pay them and so uh, they begin to pressure the bride elect and she finally yields and tells what the riddle is and uh, and it becomes apparent uh, that they understand that uh, what uh, what the answer to the riddle is, and having come to that conclusion, they tell Samson, and Samson says, "You know, uh, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know this." Now, I, I'm not I'm not sure about the wisdom of calling a wife a heifer, but uh, but the point is is that. Uh, and that's probably some sort of idiomatic expression, but he's just saying, look, if, if you hadn't pressured my wife or my wife-to-be, uh, you wouldn't know the answer to this because there's no way you would have come up with this. So now if Samson's got to pay a, a wager. He's got to pay off the bet. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord, verse 19, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon. Notice that's another one of the Philistine cities. And he struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion, that, to the best man, who had, uh, it says, who had been his, his best man. So notice, uh, uh, in slaying a lion he had broken a, a vow of separation and now he's paying a gambling debt and the whole idea, and he's, and he's using the the power of God to do that uh, uh, you see you see not only a riddle but you see his rage as he kills these people and again another broken vow of separation because uh, because there there are 30 dead bodies around now where he's uh, collected their clothes so he could pay off the uh, the bet that he had made and that brings us to Judges 15. Now what we're doing, we're just looking at some of the exploits. Now right now, Samson is not looking real good. Now he's, he, he is uh, killing Philistines, but uh, he doesn't seem to be doing it in the name of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord. It's just because he's ticked off. Judges 15, after some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson said, I'll go into my wife in the chamber. So Samson thinks he's married. He, he, at this point, he doesn't realize that, she's, that his wife was given to the best man. He says, I'll go to my wife in the chamber. But her father wouldn't allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I, so apparently he must have really been angry at that wedding feast and said a lot of things. I thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So notice he's, uh, the, he's been provoked here by the giving away of his wife. And so what he does is he destroys Philistine crops. He catches a, a bunch of... Uh, uh, a number, I think around, uh, well, I've forgotten how many, but it was a number of jackals. And he put them together in pairs, tying their tails together, and then apparently put some dry uh, vegetation along with that and set them on fire. And, of course, the jackals took off. And as they would run away, they just set these fields on fire everywhere because they're ready for the harvest. So the, the grain has, uh, has dried out. And he burned crops, he burned vineyards. And why is he doing it? Is he doing it for the glory of the Lord? No, he's doing it because he's ticked off about the fact that his wife's been given away. 
it says uh, verse uh, 6 I believe it is Yeah. then the Philistines said who has done this and they said Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion that, that, and that's right that's why he did it and the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire and Samson said to them if this is what you do I swear I'll be avenged on you and after that I'll quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Now again, notice his whole purpose in killing Philistines was to avenge himself uh, because of his uh, his wife who had been uh, who had been burned in the fi- in the fire. Now the Philistines wanted to retaliate because of what uh, Samson had done. And it says in verse 9, the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah. Remember, Judah's just Judah borders on the Philistine territory. The, Judah, uh, the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. Verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, that is upon Samson, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and, <clears throat> and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I I struck down a thousand men. Notice, he doesn't give the glory to God. It's not that God has empowered me because I'm the deliverer that he's raised up, but I'm being avenged. And these people tried to take retribution on me, and when they did, I just went ahead and killed them all. In verse, now we're not through. Verse 18. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. So there's an acknowledgement that at, at least he's acknowledging that uh, the power that, uh, uh, that he needed to kill these thousand people was given to him by God but then he go <clears throat> but don't miss what he says after that you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised notice his impudence toward God it's, it's, it's like well now I've done all this now you're going to let me die of thirst is that what the deal is so again you you know, slaying a lion, paying a gambling debt, destroying Philistine crops because of revenge, and now destroying Philistine troops uh, and demonstrating impudence uh, toward God. Uh, it just, it just doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? Let's uh, let's keep reading. And God, and notice that God, now he makes this demand on God. Are you going to let me die of thirst now? And notice what God does in verse 19. And God split open the hollow place that's at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned. Now that's not the Holy Spirit. That's his his own spirit. That is, uh, he was he was refreshed. His spirit returned, and he revived. Again, we look at this and we say, this is a man who was anointed by God. I I, I don't see any reason that God would do this. But remember, that's what grace is all about, is that God doesn't do things because we deserve it. And God can use even the evil of people to ultimately accomplish His purposes. We, we, we talked about that before when we talked about the ten brothers of Joseph and what they did to him. Judges 16, Samson went to Gaza uh, and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. Now again, he's got an eye for the ladies and, uh, and this is not just any. And he, Apparently he doesn't have marriage in mind at this time. And in fact, it's at Gaza where he removes the city gates uh, and that gets a lot of folks upset. And that brings us... Uh, <clears throat> That brings us to the seduction of, uh, of Samson by Delilah. And I guess that's what, uh, what most people remember more than, uh, than anything else about him. But notice the downward direction of his life to this point. Uh, he certainly got a lust for women. He married a pagan. He's visited a prostitute. Now he's about to have a tryst with Delilah. 
and along with his lust for women, as we'll see, he's 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 a very gullible person, because uh, the the nagging. Uh, in fact, when he finally told his, you remember when we were talking about the riddle before at the at the wedding feast. Uh, the Philistines, the 30, 30 Philistines who had made a wager with Samson had really put pressure on Samson's bride-elect and said, look, if, if you don't tell us the answer to this riddle, we're going to kill you and just kill your dad and burn your house and do all kinds of terrible things to you. And so what she did was she began to nag Samson and after lots and lots of nagging, he finally gave in and told her the answer to the riddle. And of course, she told the others. We're going to see the same thing with Delilah. We're going to see that he's so gullible because, especially regarding women, because there's uh, there's a lot of nagging, there are a lot of tears that are being shed, and he just gives in to all of that. And certainly, he is uh, self-aggrandizing. He really has a contempt. Um, for other people, it seems. Um, the Bible warns us in First John chapter 2, don't love the world or anything in the world. Now here it's talking about the world system. Don't love the world system or anything in the world system. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, I, I see we, we see that already, the cravings, the lust of his eyes, we certainly see that with Samson, and the boast Boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Isn't it interesting that we can even prostitute the gifts that God gives us to minister to His people? And we see Samson doing that. Rather than doing things ultimately for the glory of God, he does things for his own revenge. He does it for retaliation. He does it just because he's really ticked off. And yet God is going to use that to accomplish His purposes of beginning to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, in Judges chapter 16, we see the the seduction of Samson. And again, I hope you've, I hope you've read all that in, in your preliminary reading. And, uh, you know, the, the five lords of the Philistines have gotten together and given Delilah some money and said, look, you find out uh, what, what the source of his strength is. Now, isn't that interesting? Find out what the source of his strength is. Now, most of us, when we think of uh, Samson, we think of somebody that sort of got that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody like that or, or the, the, the Hulk that's just this huge muscular person. But the truth is, is if that's what he looked like, then they wouldn't be asking, find out what the source of his strength is. They'd say, I can tell you what the source of his strength is. Have you seen that guy's thighs? Have you seen his biceps? So apparently, he, uh, Samson must have been sort of an average-looking guy, but there would be times when the Spirit of God would come upon him that he was just endowed with his supernatural strength. Now, we, we've seen things like that and heard about things like that that happen uh, from time to time where somebody, you know, somebody, somebody's... Uh, trapped under the uh, front end of a car or something like that and somebody just all of a sudden reaches down and picks up the car and they're able to drag out the body. There's just just tremendous rush of adrenaline that enables them to do something that normally they couldn't do. Well, this is not an adrenaline rush. I'm just saying it's similar to that kind of thing because all of a sudden the Spirit of God would come upon Samson and he could accomplish these things. Well, the five lords of the Philistines had uh, contracted with uh, with Delilah to find out what the source of his strength was, and 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 Samson just started playing games with. He said, "Well, you know, if you if you take uh, if you take some green ropes and tie me up with those, then I'll uh, I'll I'll be just like any other guy." And you know, and he let Delilah tie him up. And then Delilah would shout, Oh, the Philistines are upon you. And as soon as he'd say that, he'd just, he'd just break the ropes. And there were several instances in which he did things like that. And you'd think, well now, Samson, doesn't this tell you something? But again, he's such a gullible person. He's a person who's led by his lust. He's, he's, he's more led by his libido than he is led by the Lord. And he just 
didn't and wouldn't see through all of that. And so finally we get to the point in this seduction of Samson by uh, uh, by Delilah. And there's this triple enticement on her part to reveal the secret of his strength. And notice it says in verse 16, And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day. Now what's she doing? She's nagging him. She pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. Well, why don't you just leave, Samson, if you're vexed? And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now think about that. Was his strength in his hair? No, it was not. His strength was in the anointing that, of the Spirit of God that God would that God would place upon him. That's where that's where the strength was, but the hair was symbolic of that anointing. And see, Samson somehow has got the symbol and the reality all mixed up here. And notice what happens. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, and then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. Now, a lot of people think that Delilah was the barber that day, but she was not. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him, the man, shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, "Now, And this is probably one of the most tragic things that we read in the story of Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Notice that the, that the, the, this anointing this, that would come upon him, that anointing was gone because he had, uh, he had forfeited that by his lifestyle. But... God has a purpose in all of that, and God is going to use that, as we shall see. Let's, let's keep reading. And the Philistine, Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Now most of us have this idea. We, we think of the oxen who were tied to the, uh, uh, to the poles that are connected to the huge millstone and the oxen go round and round. What they did was they just must have taken one of those oxen out of there and they put old Samson, old blind Samson there and old Samson was pushing that uh, big millstone around. That is not the picture at all. Where it says he ground at the mill in the prison they're talking about he did women's work. It was the little grinding thing where this blind Samson who is now without any strength sat down and it was almost like the mortar and pestle kind of thing where he grinds out the, uh, the, the, the grain from the... Uh, uh, separating it from the from the chaff. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. In other words, what they're saying is, Our Philistine God has whipped the Hebrew God. That's exactly what, they, what they're thinking. And let me tell you, uh, God does not take that kind of thing lightly, as we shall see. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young men who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord. Notice, this, this, this time, and I suppose the time when he was 
in insolence called out to the Lord, you going to let me die of thirst, are the two times that we really see Samson calling on the Lord. But, but again, as he calls on the Lord, notice what his motivation is. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. Notice, it's not, O Lord, as I've been grinding with the women, I've reflected on my life, and I just, I just see how I have blown it. And oh God, I am just so sorry. And now Lord, here I am between two pillars and I have the opportunity to bring glory to You as I bring this house down and just destroy many of these Philistines. That's not what he says. He says, Strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. The reason I want you to strengthen me is for the purpose of revenge. Just as it's been before. And what does God do? Well, let's see. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And verse 31 says, He had judged Israel 20 years. Notice his last cry to God was a suicide mission. And it was for the purpose of of revenge. There's this mocking display by the Philistines and his motivation for their destruction is not the glory of God but the revenge because they had blinded him. So what are we to make of all of this? What uh, Surely there is an application for us. Well, I, I point you to that section of your notes where I, where I noted starting well does not guarantee a good conclusion. And that's important. Samson had godly parents as, and was empowered with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving God, for the purpose of delivering God's people. Now, ultimately he did that. At least he began to do that. But Samson usually yielded to sensuality rather than spirituality. Notice, he left home with divine strength, but when he was brought back for his burial, he returned as a, essentially as a dead POW who had died by his own hand. Secondly, God is interested in our character development as well as the development of our God-given gifts and abilities. Notice, Samson always focused on the externals. And when you think about it, that's what society rewards today. It rewards people on the basis of what they do, more so than on what they are. Samson was powerful, he was popular, he had a quick mind. But he was also gullible and impulsive and immature and irresponsible. And spiritually, he was out to lunch. You know, Jesus said, it's by their fruit you shall know them. You know, the gifts that God gives, it doesn't say anything about us. It just says how gracious God is to endue us with those gifts. But character development says a lot about how much we yield to the Spirit of God and allow Him to work, allow Him as His people to work in His lives and cooperate with the Spirit of God and say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. God is sovereign. His purposes cannot be thwarted. Never can they be thwarted. He... He's the most powerful person in the universe. He is, he is ultimately the supreme court of the universe. When He declares something, that's not going to be set aside. 
His will will be done. And it will either be done with us or without us or in spite of us. And that's the way it was with Samson. He certainly did it to a large extent in spite of him. Although he did use even the evil in Samson's life. God used Samson's unruly passions to accomplish his will. You know, Samson really seemed to care nothing about God's will. The deliverances that he uh, performed uh, for the people of Israel in in killing the Philistines, they were motivated by self-interest. They were motivated by revenge, by retaliation because he felt like he had been harmed in some way. So he was going to take it out on them. God's use of an individual, notice this, and this is important, God's use of an individual is not a stamp of God's approval on that person's lifestyle. Again, we're to know people by their fruit, not by their gifts. And ultimately, and I think this this is a really important thing, I know it is for me, that God ultimately is the judge. You know, he view, God views people differently than the way that you and I do. God also sees the heart. Notice that passage there um, from Hebrews chapter 11. Because there's a name, after reading this, there's a name that appears in Hebrews 11 in the hall, in the, in the hall of faith that we don't expect to be there. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. There, Samson. He was made strong out of weakness uh, as he stood between those pillars. Became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. In so many ways, Samson did not appear to be a person of faith. He was a rogue. He was a rascal. He was a prankster. And I think the the message for us when we look at this is that one of the true believer's tasks is not to be a stumbling block to others. Romans 14.13 says, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You know, Paul in other places says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. And notice that passage from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, that would be Samson, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You can't say, well, I tell you what, nobody's ever been through this before. Nobody's ever been tempted the way I am. Nobody's suffered the way I've suffered. No, these things are all common to man. But it goes on to say, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. And notice the definite article. It doesn't say He will provide a way of escape. It says He will provide the way of escape. And what is the way of escape? The way of escape is the way of righteousness. It's the way of holiness. It's doing the right thing. It's being the right person. Not just doing the right thing, but being the right person. And by being the right person, we do the right thing. He says, But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Remember, Robert Robinson uh, wrote that hymn, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, take my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And if you don't get anything else out of this study, get this, that God is faithful. 
God is faithful even when His own people sink lower than they ever could have imagined that they would sink. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. There's a, there's a verse, it's not in your notes, but it's from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And it's a good verse to remember. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's Samson. That's Samson if there ever was a Samson. So what do we see here? We see two really major applications. The first about God, that He is sovereign and that He is faithful. He's going to accomplish His purposes. He's going to be faithful to His people. Faithful to His Word. And the second major application has to do with people. As believers, you and I are to use the skills and the gifts that God has given us for His glory and to minister to His people. But also we are to develop Christian virtues. We are to grow in our Christian character as we depend upon the Spirit of God and as we say yes to righteousness and no to sin. And for those among us who profess to be believers, they presume that be believers, they need to apply the tests of salvation that are given in 1 John. The, the doctrine test. Do I believe that Jesus is God in human flesh and that He is the only way to salvation? The social test, the, the love test. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? If, if I am walking in obedience then I will demonstrate love toward them. And the social test, am, am I interested in being with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I interested in, in ministering to them? Belief and behavior, both are very important. But again, God is faithful. Even when you and I sink lower than we ever could have imagined that we would ever sink, God is faithful. And He will do as He promised. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.